is mind rolling. Raghu, I'm back with old, old, and we go old, old friends, and you go, oh my God, the passing of time. Tsultram, Lama Tsultram Alioni. Welcome. Great to, we were just saying we haven't even talked since Ramdas left, right? I, yeah, it's been a while. Actually, and I would have, uh, wanted to get from you just a little bit about, I don't remember hearing your story of initially meeting Ramdas or any kind of uh, moments with him that uh, I'm I'm wondering because I don't remember us ever talking about it. I don't know if you know this, but I met Ram Das at the same time Bhagavan Das did. Okay, click. Yeah, all of a sudden that's good. Yes, <laughs> thank Mandu, you. 1967. Oh my. And um, so Michael Riggs, uh, Bhagavan Das, and I were living together, sharing a house um, with a Japanese guy who was my boyfriend at the time. And uh, Ramdas came to town with David Padua. I think they had driven overland, or maybe they had uh, gotten a vehicle in Delhi or something. But they had a vehicle, yeah. and um, they were staying at the Salty Hotel in Kathmandu. And I didn't have a lot of connection with Ramdas at that time, but Michael Riggs did. Bhagwan Das did, and that's where they met. And from there, they went on the Be Here Now journey. Mm. But I do remember uh, Bhagwan Das coming back with these, you know, those tikka things in your forehead that you, that you can stick on. Yeah. Uh, somehow, uh, Richard, who he was at that time, had a bunch of those. And so Bhagwan Das came back from the Salty Hotel with those and talking about Richard <laughs> and uh, in a nice way or? in a nice way. Yeah. But, you know, sort of like, uh, I can uh, maybe not exactly romantic, but, you know, sort of impressed, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they left and, uh, the next time I saw Ramdas was in Bodh Gaya. I think I met you. Um, I know I met Danny and Krishnadas and mm-hmm. yep. Suya yes. and everybody else. Yep. And you were all there doing Goenka courses. Yeah. And I was living on the roof of the Gandhi ashram. And um, I was a nun by then. So yes. when I met in 1967, when I met, Ramdas, I wasn't a nun yet, and so I was ordained in January of 1970, and I think that was, was that the winter of 71, 72? The, the first group was the winter of 70, 71. Okay, and yeah. That's, so that's and then I, I saw you after that at another time, mm-hmm. and you were known as Anila. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice um, connection with everybody then. And I was in a very visionary state. It was a visionary time of my life. 
And um, by that, I mean, I was having a lot of visions and um, experiences. Like I'd look at the Bodhi tree and it would turn gold, all the leaves turn gold and a lot of bliss, ecstasy mm. uh, in my subtle body. And so it was quite an extraordinary time for me. And some of you used to come visit me on the roof in that little room. I hadn't, you know, you know, sometimes in India, there's like one room on the roof. Yeah. Chokey door room. The big yeah. roof. <laughs> so that's uh, some used to come and sit with me there. <clears throat> and otherwise we would meet in tea shops or the Tibetan Momo tent. <laughs> mm. So yeah, that that's the next time I saw Ramdas. But I really didn't get to know him until I started traveling with him, with Allen Ginsberg. And we traveled together quite extensively. Really? In, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, in the West. We went um, Montana, New Mexico, um, Colorado. We did a tour. Uh, I did it twice with Alan. And one time Ramdas was there. And that was quite funny actually to see them together. Yeah. Because they're they're both Jewish, right? And they just kind of went into this like uh kind of like two rabbis or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they would be like, you know. Ram and it's Alan and you know they they just they really liked each other and um yeah it was great it was a great connection between them and and uh, with me also and so we went around what we were doing was raising funds for Trumpa Rinpoche's center which was then called Rocky Mountain Dharma Center and then became Shambhala Mountain Center mm. Ah, right. <laughs> and beyond that, uh, from time to time? With Ramdas? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, then I came, I met him in Berkeley um, when you all, you know, I'm not sure who was there, so. Yeah. Um, uh, but had a we house. Like yeah, a we had that house. house. Yeah. And I also went up to the farm in Canada, was it Canada or Northern yes, Vermont? Yes, that's where you came to my dad's farm in Abercorn, Quebec, right okay. near Tail of the Canada. Tiger. We used to go up to Tail of the Tiger from yeah. Trumpo's place there. Yeah, and uh, you had little stamps with Maharaji's yeah. head. And um, I remember we made kheer and would do, I think, Hanuman Chalisa. Yep. Maybe. Yep. And then eat the kheer as prasad. Yeah. I I can't remember if, if Maharaji had already left his body at that time. You know, I was thinking about it myself, and I think, because we did go down there before he left his body, because it was uh, we were back uh, by the end of 72. So 73, I think we went down uh, and... and we would go with Ramdas, and I, I mean, I know we bumped into each other at different places yeah, along this path, yeah, but yeah. yeah. And then Ramdas, um, 
you know, when he was at Naropa, we had some some contact and oh, and then I was in New York. I came and when uh, you all were enthralled with what's her name? Joya. Joya. I came there. Uh-huh. I had darshan with her, and Ramdas was there, and then uh, ultimately. He he helped me with Tara Mandala. He came and did um, a benefit at Tara Mandala after his stroke. We saw each other more in between there, mm-hmm. you know, um, at Omega when we were teaching there and uh, various other times. But I was really touched by him coming. It, you know, in a wheelchair to Tara Mandala, and we only had a tent. Mm. Um, and he came and helped me raise money for our buildings. Yeah, Tara Mandala being Lama's center in Colorado. Yeah, yeah Tara Mandala is a 700-acre retreat center in southwest Colorado near Pagosa Springs. And it started out as really 700 raw acres of really amazing, beautiful rolling hills. And we lived in tents and teepees for 10 years there uh, before we had buildings. And so Ramdas came right around and we were raising money for the first building. Mm. And I stayed at my house. At that time, there were two women taking care of him. Marlene and Joanne, yeah. Okay, yeah. And then I went to see him a couple of times in Maui. Yeah. What, uh, just, I mean, to sort of, I'm sorry everybody out there listening because I, I have talked to various friends of Ramdas and, and mine since he's left. Uh, just about their impressions, and this is just one more additional family member basically that uh that that this is coming up in this moment this is just uh, i hadn't even thought about it and well ramdas is a year past you know just a month or so ago mm. and uh so and we've been doing many different things to celebrate his life and mm-hmm. uh, who he is and what what uh did you have you did you walk away with anything you know just thinking back on I mean I, if somebody said to me what's the the most impressive thing that happened in your relationship with Ramdas mm-hmm. and 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 it was and I say this a billion times it was trust I never trusted anyone in the instant that I met him that everything that he was that was moving through him I was 100% and that was a huge thing for me. So that was one thing. What anything that you could say in a in a mm. That's an interesting question. I think the most impactful time I had with him was in Maui um, after my husband David died. Mm. Uh, when David died, uh, yeah, that was two thousand ten, and. He was my partner on every level, including creating this big project in Colorado. And 
and emotionally and spiritually. So it was a big loss and it was very sudden overnight. He was 54 years old. Mm. And so it had, it was, I think, 2016. I went uh, to Maui and um, to see him because I think it was you that said, you should go now. Like, there's not a lot of time left, mm. I, I don't think. And, or maybe it was Christian Das that uh, said that to me. And so I went just to see him. And we sat down to a breakfast at eight in the morning. And we were still there at the table at 2 p.m. Uh-huh. And they said um, they'd never seen him do that, you know, like for that long. But it was a really, I think one of the things that Ramdas enjoyed about me was that I came from a different tradition. And so he could present his view of something and then I could say, yeah, well, from the Buddhist point of view or the Tibetan point of view, it's this. And so he was kind of interested in a learning way, you know, to hear from another tradition. Uh, But that wasn't the main impactful thing for me. It was more um, talking to him about the grief. And I could just really open up to him about how hard it was how bad it was, you know, mm-hmm. and he was just so there mm-hmm. with me and in such a loving way. And so there was so much space to be free about that and to really be able to talk about it and also have him, you know, give some ideas of how to work with it or I don't even remember him doing that particularly that was more just looking at me and Mm -hmm. you know providing space and love a sort of fabric of love or a uh, space of love that I could kind of relax into that's just what I said, Lama. When I first met him, he created an unconditional space. There was no Richard or even Ramdas in the moment. And I could just relax and, and be at home in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's, that's funny. It's exactly the same feeling I had in that. And I've seen, you know, him do that with gazillions of people and be be able to mm. be here now uh, instantly which is a quite a great quality um the best thing that i heard though <laughs> oh god he had stick on tillocks that he bought in <laughs> india and was putting and giving to bhagwandas that's Unbelievable. Okay, and that's they were mirror. They were mirror ones. The mirror kind of, ones to get. Yeah. Had like little lines in them, so yeah. it kind of created a rainbow thing. Right. Oh god. Uh, they, were, they were cool. Mm. <laughs> um, you mentioned this is what I'm going to tell you is a little bit embarrassing, but you're a good friend. So when you talked about the stamps of Maharaji that were going around at one point, yeah. right? 
So Ramesh Wardas, who just uh, his book with Ramdas, Ramdas's memoir, Being Ramdas, is just out oh. last week. Oh. And I think one is on the way to you, by the way. So, oh, thank yeah. you. Um, anyhow, he, because he's a photographer, he made all these great little, great little stamps of Maharaji. Oh, that was him. That was him. Yeah. And he gave us yeah. all sheets of it. And then Maharaji yeah, yeah, would yeah. go, he found out, you know, we were, to, anybody got any stamps? So we gave him the stamps. And then he'd like give all of them to the one Indian person that you thought was the last person that should get even one stamp because he was a budmash <laughs> of some sort. All right. So one day I was actually across the courtyard from him and he yelled out, anybody got any stamps? You know, and I had a cer only a certain amount left. So I actually pulled them out and ripped them in half. I mean, took half of the quantity, put one half back in my in my Jola. <laughs> and I went run running up to give it to him. I gave him the other half. <laughs> he went, he took it. He went, look, look, I had just stuck him with a knife or something. He took it and he threw it back at me and went, Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot! You're gonna give me half. Where's the rest? So, and you know, now we, of course, in this conversation, because I've been looking at the book that you, you know, feeding the demons, which is uh, Lama's great book that can uh, one major aside from just wanting to get back with you. You know, it's it's uh, it's exactly what many of us need at this time. Anyhow, there's that was my little demon, right? So, of greed, of, of, of holding, grasping, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, about a week went by. I felt like I should, you know, I wanted to hang myself, I and mean, then just because you see all this horror that yeah. you're producing. And you, anyhow, I went back, and I was sitting with him one day, and he he goes. Anybody got any stamps? So I took this out. I gave him everything. He turned around. He turned the other way and he gave it to somebody. And then he looked back at me and he did the classic thing that you see in pictures. Watch out, MF. <laughs> right? This is, we were little kids, you know, back then. Uh, so you, you were able to give him those stamps when he was alive. Yeah. Um, so I think he was still alive at that time in Canada. And yeah. when I heard about him passing, hmm. um, it happened soon. Now, what, when was that exactly? That's uh, September 73. Oh, 73. Yeah, September 73. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, to get it, I, all this reminiscing, everybody, you, you <laughs> give us a little bit of breath of spaciousness because we haven't seen each other in so long. So, um, so talking about feeding the demons and um, as soon as you say the word demon, people go, you know, I mean, we just, uh, I just was talking to somebody not long ago today who was asking in the memoir, Ramdas talks about how he would have a picture of, somebody who represents some very negative stuff in the political arena. And of course, lately it was Trump. And I said, uh, so they thought that was delightful that he was doing that. I said, delightful. I went to him and went, are you, 
what are you, are you, you really are putting Trump on the puja table next to these saints? And I, what he said, yeah, it's just a shitty incarnation. You don't, I'm not relating with that. I'm relating to the, the behind all of that soul. And I said, well, more power to you because I, <laughs> I can't do that. And uh, so, you know, talk about the level of um, extreme negativity well, you, this is your thing. You explain what are we talking about with demons and, and the fact that we are all carrying around. Well, you know, it's actually very commonly used word. I heard it around the time of uh, the uh, insurrection at the Capitol. I've heard it used, like, I, I noticed it because of the book. Yeah. That, that word is actually, you know, oh, then, you know, then all the demons came out or all their demons or, <clears throat> you know, they died after, you know, their demon of alcohol got hold of them or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's actually used colloquially quite a bit. Um, but what I mean by demons is anything that, blocks you from being completely free yeah so in in uh in sanskrit it's called mara and so our our demons are quite personal in other words when i say your demons like you knew you had that demon of grasping and we know what our demons are yeah we sure do but so it's or, okay, or, or and we our, all have our them. Partners do. Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we we may be blissfully unaware, or <laughs> consciously unaware. Yeah, right, right. Well, in the but, book, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. So, um, my point with the book was these things that are our demons, and that could be an addiction. It could be a fear. Um, it could be a natural physical illness, but these are are things that <clears throat> keep us from being completely present and free. <clears throat> and so in the story of the Buddha, you have Mara, who was a sort of personification of really the Buddha's own demons, his, the, the things that he was still held back by. And so the principle of feeding your demons came from an 11th century Tibetan woman teacher named Machik Lapran, which means one mother torch of Lap. Uh, Lap is a, a place in Tibet. And so her approach was feeding, not fighting. So these things like, let's say you're grasping, uh, you would find where you hold that in your body most strongly and then notice what color it is, what shape, what's the texture of that grasping, what's the temperature of it. And then you move it out and personify it in front of you as a being, not a human being, but more like a entity, monster being, yeah. demon being. And then you feed it to complete satisfaction. 
uh, and you feed it your own body. Your own body dissolves into nectar and, and you feed it that um, nectar. And so this is a really different approach than we usually have with our demons, which is to be sort of embarrassed about them and try to repress them, get rid of them, put them in the closet, <laughs> whatever. So in this method, you, you invite them out, meet them, and then you ask them what they want and what they need, mm. and then how they will feel if they get what they need. Mm. And so the, the need is, is the, the deeper thing that's under that want, and then you feed it. So um, what happens sort of paradoxically, you think, well, feed the demon, doesn't it just get bigger and stronger? But it doesn't, it, it relaxes. And, and then that part of yourself integrates and becomes an ally. Mm. So when I, uh, when he, Maharaji threw the stamps back at me and, and went, he didn't say anything, but nay, uh, the week after, uh, for the next week, uh, my reaction was, where can I find a tree and a rope and hang myself? Or where can I stick my head in that river? You know, the, I mean, that bad? Really? It was really, oh yeah, the, the uh, guilt and uh, one demon after another just showed up, shall we say, right? Shame, my brother's a big one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, now I now look back and, and go, oh, human little guy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, how, uh, at this point, uh, it seems amusing, but in reality, these things are happening to us on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, I like, just let me read something from the book, which struck me to even start this conversation. Um, it's actually the end of the book. Um, it's just, I think you were talking to one of your daughters just about what uh, what you wanted from the publication of the book and so on. And uh so uh, you you talked about how, and this is interesting because this book was written a number of years ago. I also flashed, I flashed on the world situation today where countries and religions demonize one another. Nature itself is becoming demonic and it's ever increasing numbers of hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, droughts, and tidal waves and viruses. <laughs> right? I thought about how we are all tormented by polarization within and without. Mm. And I found myself saying, I feel we are in desperate need of a new paradigm that inspires us to stop fighting against ourselves and each other. I would love to like to see a world in which people no longer think that the best alternative is to destroy whatever opposes them. So what strikes me and what we we should maybe highlight and hopefully bring out is what this new paradigm can be. What can we as individuals, I mean, we, thank God, went through a great day yesterday where someone who, I mean, this is my opinion, is very much um, possessed by some really tough, tough uh, demonic spaces and um and it was a a real detriment as we saw a couple of weeks ago at the capitol uh to any kind of unity 
So, yeah, what what's the paradigm here that uh, you believe some of the first things and some just plain down to earth stuff? Maybe people aren't particularly practicing Tibetan Buddhism or bhakti yoga or whatever our mm-hmm. our path may be. Yeah. I'm not sure I understand your question. Well, you're saying we need new paradigms. Oh, for, yeah. Yeah. What, what are they, and, and how can we implement them? Well, the paradigm that I'm suggesting is, is feeding, not fighting, mm. which is really what Maharaji said too, right? Love everyone. Feed, feed everyone. Yeah. Um, and probably feed your demons too. But so the, the polarization that we have now in the world, and we had then too, that book came out in 2008. Uh, that polarization is is caused by thinking someone else is completely wrong and you're completely right. And one of the things that I liked, I remember at the time, was around when Obama was running, um... And he said, I would, I would talk to the enemies. Um, I would uh, actually meet with the enemies. And that was just such a perfect mm. answer. I think, you know, now we have this polarization with the white supremacists and um, the QAnon and that whole faction of our society. And so what are we going to do with them? I think there should be dialogue and just find out. I mean, when, when somebody's really too out there, you can't really have a dialogue. But I think that there are parts of that part of our society, of our country, that need to be listened to. And if they feel that there's a voice for them, then they can be integrated in some, in a less violent way. And I felt this about terrorists too, when we, um, if we had tried to dialogue with some of those factions, find out what they need, what are they so upset about exactly? And just see, I mean, maybe you can't do anything, but at least rather than just repress them, lock them up, cut their heads off, you know, uh, kill them. Let's find out because these are all part of us. It's all us. And everyone has Buddha nature. And this is something I see in Biden that, he does he does want that dialogue he does want those people to feel included and probably a lot of their anger comes with various kinds of frustration and feelings of exclusion i i'm not saying you know that we should indulge those people and there should be no 
uh, results from what they do and did and so on. But mm. my point is more that, you know, we have within ourselves these demons that we fight against, but actually the more we fight them, the stronger they get. They actually get energy from the fight. And then if you look at the collective situation in our country, we have these demons also. And we, if we just fight against them, they'll get stronger. Whereas if there can be a, a kind of rapprochement where, you know, there's some dialogue and, um, you know, even just hearing somebody listening, uh, then there may be less need for violence. Mm. And our sort of collective psyche becomes more integrated. So if you think about it, like, uh, let's say you, you're like a religious person, but you have like, say like a sex demon, you know, and, um, and you keep trying to like get rid of it, repress it. And maybe you, you, you remember, I always think about this, this is a long time ago now, but there was this minister in Colorado who was really anti-gay. And then it came out that he was actually gay and was meeting lovers in Denver and so on. And so this part of himself, he was trying to get rid of. So um, violently. And rather than like, oh, hmm, I have these tendencies. Let's meet that part of myself and integrate it. Uh, and so we really have a paradigm. It's in all our movies. It's, it's just everywhere of, of this power over rather than power with in general. And internally, this paradigm of get rid of whatever part of myself I don't like or I'm embarrassed by. Mm. but it doesn't work it gets stronger so that's the whole principle right. of eating the demon right and everybody everybody understands that everybody i think uh, having any kind of awareness and certainly anybody who's got any mindfulness practice whatsoever the more that we do that the stronger pushing away makes it enormous absolutely enormous and uh um the one thing, though, that I wanted to bring up is the, I think it's really, the, the polarization is very tough because of collective imprints that we have. We have, uh, we have a number of different ones of them, you know, the whole racial justice uh, thing that's happened uh, in this last, uh, well, 400 years, but in the last year where a few of the privileged white people have woken up a little bit more than they might have been prior to George Floyd. And that's an, a collective imprint on people who came over as slaves and then were kept in that um, extreme isolation for all of this time. Then you have the privileged white people have a collective imprint, uh, yeah, privilege. You could call it a collective demon. Yeah, yeah, you could call it a collective demon. You know, on all sides, 
that's tough stuff. Uh, I mean, I have, uh, there's a couple of young, young guys that, uh, take care, actually take care of be here now network that will be editing and writing show notes, uh, JR and Corey for, for this podcast. And they grew up in the South and they grew up under very extreme conditions in terms of conditioning the way that Southerners, many Southerners have been conditioned. Mm-hmm. And they had the good karma and grace to be able to see and be aware and move through it in a, in a, in a wonderful way and still acknowledge it and still they have families who haven't necessarily moved through yeah. it in a graceful way. So it there's so many different imprints that are uh, oriented towards a, a group that that makes it even more difficult on an individual basis to break through. That, uh, yeah, I talk about uh, collective demons in the in the book, mm. like homophobia or racism, and uh, we've done some work with that. In uh, there's trainings that I do with feeding your demons, and in the level three of that, we work with uh, co- our collective demons, like. Like I remember one person worked with being an Irish immigrant and another person with uh, racism. And there was a person from South Africa who had you know, grown up with apartheid and, and so on. So uh, the way that I suggested dealing with collective demons was to deal with them on an individual basis. And then if you're in a group, uh, for example, let's say you're you're doing a um, retreat on racial justice and you work with your own demon of, of racism and or implicit bias, unconscious racism, um, then everybody works with their personal demon and then gets together and talks about what the demon was and what the ally was for them because in the demon work that energy that's caught up in the demon let's say racism that's just energy and when that is is met and fed and transformed Mm -hmm. it becomes liberated and then you have that energy and that's the ally so that's the way that i've suggested working with collective demons is on an individual basis, but then bringing those together in a group mm. to see what you saw on your personal basis. Right. Uh, there was uh, something that came up. Uh, of course, so many people are going, well, how do I bridge this thing? How, uh, yeah, I, I have the... Uh, the Buddhist metta practice, loving kindness practice, and but uh, to actually send may can, may you be happy? You know, if somebody was in part of the uh, the event in at the Capitol, I mean, many different instances. Uh, and uh, so we found this thing with Ramdas and Joseph Goldstein actually uh, that it was just uh, wonderful. He was reading a letter saying Ramdas was. What do I do? And that was exactly the circumstance. I can't feel forgiving. I can't to the other party. Mm-hmm. 
And then Joseph said, interesting, uh, around 9-11, I was doing retreats. And uh, so uh, people were coming and saying the exact same thing. We're doing metta practice. I cannot send uh, thoughts of, uh, may you be happy to these people who cause this destruction. So he went away with it and he thought, I mean, it's reasonable, right? This is totally, totally reasonable. So he said, but, you know, one thing we can do is, is uh, may all beings have hatred dissipate from their hearts. And that was uh, a, a little tiny footstep forward. Most mm -hmm. people would go, yes, I can do that. So anyhow, I think that that's those little steps are just like you're, you're talking about individually, you must get with those demons inside yourself and then be able to start working on uh, um, collective. Yeah, the collective, you know, and the collective imprint is, is a strong, um, a strong demon in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's, you know, that's really the principle uh, that we all learned going to the East was begin with yourself I know, you know, my parents were, wanted me when I went to India to do something like the Peace Corps or go do some sort of outer thing to save these poor people. And I always felt, but until you have really cleared your own motivation and done your own inner work, are you really going to be helping them? Or are you maybe going to be creating more chaos or more suffering or yeah. whatever? Yeah. I think a lot of times parents do that with their kids too. And I felt that with my parents sometimes with, you know, I'm doing this for your own good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that I really felt like, well, maybe you need to look into that yourself, you know, mm -hmm. like, is this really for my good? Is this for your good? Yeah, right. You know, it's a big question and we all need to carry that along day to day. Yeah. Um, and this is also Ramdas. This is one of his, central teachings was around social action, which he did a ton of. Uh, you got to work on clearing your own heart if you have any chance of being effective in any kind of social action. doesn't mean you need to be perfect before you do that. It yeah. just means let us be doing that as we do the social action. And mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah, that's uh, extremely important for sure. You know, we don't have much time left, but so... This is for me, not mm. that it's all for me, but <laughs> I've been reading this book. Um, I don't know if you know, it's a book on Tara. It's uh, by uh, somebody I don't know, Rachel Wooten. I yeah, know. I know her. You do know her. And it's mm -hmm. called The Liberating Power of the Female Buddha. And, and 
So, uh, well, I guess one of the things I either read or I knew that there was a, a strong connectivity between the Tibetan deity Tara and the Hindu deity Saraswati. And uh, so it led me to, oh, wow, wonder, you know, so I, 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 wow, all the different aspects of Tara are just incredible. The, mm-hmm. the one uh, great white soothing Tara, she helps release the dark emotions that arise from painful experiences. Mm-hmm. She enables you to generate kindness towards yourself. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, is there's a is there a way to integrate this kind of a teaching without being i mean i because of neem karoli baba we many of us who come from this tradition of uh, which is bhakti yoga basically have taken buddhist teachings have been with buddhist masters mm-hmm. and uh this is the integration of the two is probably the most important thing that is offered through this tradition that he said it's beyond any tradition because he was sending a, 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 he got me with uh, Kalu Rinpoche, right? Uh, back in the day. Uh, he didn't do anything, actually. It was all happening, but he was tell, he was narrating it uh, before it happened, kind of, is what he was doing. So, but I'm not a major practitioner practitioner of Tibetan Buddhism. I appreciate. I. I. I mean, my favorite. One of my favorite teachers is Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, and you and I have talked about him before. Uh, but do you? This intrigued me as a, a student or as a, a, a someone who takes whatever comes in front of me, and I. I'm, I don't care where it comes from. If it's teaching that's going to be useful, God bless. And so do I need to be a more of a practitioner in order to take the teachings of great white soothing Tara? How can I take that and integrate it into my life without yeah. um, the kind of, I mean, and I know how deep you go with your students mm-hmm. uh, at, at the retreats that you have, uh, that you've done at Taramandala and so on. And yet here it is. I think this can be, if, is there a way to get this to uh, somebody that's not necessarily deep inside of Tibetan right. Buddhist practice? One of the things about Tara is that she is accessible without having to necessarily receive the empowerment and the whole traditional transmission and so on. Uh, she's uh-huh. like Madonna in, in the Christian church, you know. that He's like who? I didn't hear you. So. Like the Madonna. Oh, Madonna. Madonna, yeah. yeah uh-huh. I say Madonna because I lived in Italy for seven years, but I... Uh, People have a very different relationship with the Madonna than they do with Christ or God, and she's she's just she's there for your for you in a way that a mother is. You know, it's not sort of this you know exalted, distant presence. It's a it's a very personal, mm. compassionate presence. And so you could uh, do the mantra of that of that tarim. And 
uh, visualization and work with that energy uh, without necessarily having to do a whole thing. Mm. And and uh, one of my lineage holders, name is Lopan Chandra Easton. So be an interesting person for you to interview mm. uh, because she is doing um, research on the 21 Tvaras and uh, and teaches those mantras too. And, and she's a beautiful uh, singing voice. Oh. She, she knows Sanskrit also. And, um, and so... There's 21, and, and there is a climate change, Tara, literally. There is a, a Tara to balance the seasons and the rains. Uh, there's also a, a Tara connected to weapons of mass destruction. And Saraswati is one of the Taras. She's the second of the 21 Taras. So there's 21, and, and there's one for epidemics like really? this. Huh? Yes, the 20th Tara. And so um, she teaches an online course really going into depth with each of those 21 Taras and, uh, and also has chosen women, historical women, who she feels sort of correspond with these different Taras. And so she's writing a book now about this and, and teaches this online. Hmm. But in any case, um, your question is, I really like her, but I'm not exactly, a, you know, a kosher Buddhist. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not a kosher I, Buddhist. Yeah, like I'm not her. a kosher Hindu either or Jew. <laughs> Can I have a relationship with her if I'm not? And the answer with Tara is yes. There's some deities where really you need to have the the wong and the long and the tree and the whole traditional process. Yeah. But Tara's in a different category. And so we do things through Tara Mandala around uh, where we will do an online, um, I guess you call it a campaign around different events, you know, like, with the drought in California and the fires, we did the 12th tar, which is the climate change tar, and you visualize her over the whole state of California, pouring down rain, the gentle rain, and and so on. So we've um, opened these up online through my Facebook page and Taramandala Facebook page so that people, we, we give them the mantra, tell them the visualization, and then they count the mantras and and sort of write them in, and then we have goals. We have a campaign going on now that was around the election, um, the tar connected with justice. Mm. And um, so anyway, basically, the, that's a long answer, yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about this right now? Can you, uh, first of all, tell us what the mantra is for white tara? And can you just do a few rounds of it so that we have that before we I know, end are here? Are you prepared to do that right oh, now? Oh, it's not, it's not, a, it's more it's complex. Hard, I don't do white tar myself a lot. Uh -huh. I would have to prepare for that. Okay, how about the, the basic one that many of us do know? Yeah. 
Yeah, sure. That would be great. I'll lead everyone in a little meditation on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So everybody get comfortable. Take a comfortable seat. Which, by the way, is the first thing that the Buddha always said about how to practice. Take a comfortable seat. <laughs> mm. So that's not necessarily cross-legged on the floor for Westerners. Anyway, take a comfortable seat and close your eyes. Take a moment and just become present in your body. And then we'll begin by sounding the seed syllable of all of the Taras, which is Tam, spelled T-A-M. And as we sound this seed syllable Tam, imagine yourself becoming Green Tara. And that would mean that you have your right leg in a stepping down posture, your left leg tucked in in a cross-legged posture, Stepping down posture represents her coming into the world to be a benefit and the tucked in posture of her in meditation. So she's simultaneously both. And then in your left hand, you're holding an Utpala flower that's blue. It's a very rare flower with a thousand petals, lotus flower. And it's blue. Your body is green. And then your right hand is extended. I'll put my hand out into the screen um, so people can see, but it's extended like that or just stretched out on your right knee. And that's the giving posture, the giving of blessings and healing. So we'll, we'll sound the tom together and then become luminous green tara your body is is made of light you don't have a liver intestines and so on you just light green light like an emerald Now we'll do the mantra, and as we do this mantra, imagine that green light is coming out of your body, and it's going to heal whatever needs to be healed, to take away fear wherever fear is present, to offer love and compassion wherever it's needed, as a green light, and it's going out to all beings everywhere. And we'll sing a little bit of the Green Tara Mantra. Om Tare Tu Tare Tu Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Tu Swaha 
Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare Ture Swaha Om Tare Tu Tare and then gradually dissolve your luminous green body into a tiny sphere of green light. And then that sphere itself also dissolves. And you rest in open awareness. And then we'll dedicate any merit or positive energy that we've gained to doing this little practice together to benefit all beings everywhere. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm. This reminds me of, uh, of, for those of you, actually, because I am reminded because of the uh, space ship I just went on <laughs> inside, that a number of, uh, a few years ago, we did a podcast and, with Lama is actually with my old partner, David Silver. And I don't know if you recall this, but you did a lengthy Feeding the Demons meditation that was, yeah. I thought it was quite exceptional. I mean, you've done a billion of them, but in, in them is all um, my yeah, first that was moment. Yeah, our time together was yeah. taking 
people through that whole process. Yeah. So you guys, uh, you can find that mind rolling. Just uh, bring up Lama Tsultrim Alioni, and uh, it's the first. We've done several, but the first one uh, has that meditation. I think we might have even cut it out and and offering it somewhere else. But basically, you can listen because uh, it was a great podcast as well. And I thank you for being here now with me, Lama. It's been great yeah. as usual. And uh, I know you're just down the road these days. So when yeah. this particular demon decides uh, it's had a, enough of us, we shall uh, get together. I've actually had my first shot. Oh, really? Oh, fantastic. Not available here. Just becoming, actually, right now. Yeah. It was, for elderly people. Uh, it, was, it was like a fluke. Like the dakinis this, that I got in there it was like, it was five minute window and uh, somebody sent me a link and I got in. Really? But oh. yes, I would love to see you. We will because we have this wonderful uh, HQ for Loves or Remember Foundation and the idea was to do small weekend workshops and have you come and others of our family and share time and space with us. So, How, how are you doing? Good. Good. I mean, we're hanging in there, you know. It's uh, um, like everybody. We've all been dealing with some tough stuff over this last year. And I, I've said this a billion times on my podcast because I found this many months ago from somebody who said, here's a great aphorism that the ancient Chinese used to use for times like this. Dangerous opportunity. <laughs> is that great right mm -hmm. so we are all making our way through uh in a way that is is an opportunity and yet uh, it's fraught with all sorts of tough stuff so you're in ohio right yep yeah so i'm going to close this out mm -hmm. and uh everyone thank you for joining us and joining llama and myself of course everything in the show notes will lead you to Find the meditation and find uh, Lama Tsultrim's book, Feeding the Demons, and connectivity to Tara Mandala. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is uh, Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and you can share stuff with all of uh, Lama Tsultrim and my friends, <laughs> many of them up on, on, on the podcast network. We've got to get you to do a podcast or two, actually. If we can twist your arm, talk to some your friends uh, as well. And uh, we'll see you next week again. Thank you. And Ram Ram. <laughs> <laughs>